All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 13th day of October 2020. I do want to remind you that I publish a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can sign up for that newsletter, which is published weekly and then a monthly letter as well goes out to our paid subscribers. You can go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com to sign up for that. You can call our number here in New York during normal work hours as well, 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. Also like to uh, plug Chen Lin's letter, what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling? Chen follows the, uh, the energy sec- sector as well as the mining sector. Uh, and he especially has developed an expertise in the biotech sector. So uh, a very exciting uh, sector that Chen has been uh, has been very successful in. So what is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? Go to ChenPicks.com to sign up for Chen's letter. And Oliver MSA is Michael Oliver's website. We'll be talking to Michael in just a few minutes. Um, excellent newsletter as well. You might want to consider signing up uh, for Michael's work as well. I do want to thank all of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also, encourage you to send along whatever comments you might have about this show to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questions at number four, taylor at gmail.com. And our sponsors for today, we want to thank them because without them there would be no show. Benchmark Metals, NV Gold, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Sitka Gold Corp, Lion One Metals, Grand Portage, GMV Minerals, and SK Mining Corp. I've titled today's show, The Gold Bull Market. Are we nearing the end? Rick Rule, Dr. Quentin Henning, and Michael Oliver are my guests today. Bernard Baruch was successful, a very successful investor uh, in the 30s and 40s because he, he bought stocks that no one else wanted and then sold them into panic situations. So when everybody wanted them, he was out. Nobody wanted him. He looked for value and bought then. Rick Rule is known to follow that strategy very successfully in the natural resource sector, where he has been investing over the past three decades or so. A few months ago on Kitco, uh, in an interview that Rick did, he said that events are shaping up that are uniquely positive for gold. So I want to ask him what he sees that makes gold uniquely positive at this point in time. But more importantly... Since uh, Rick has had such a splendid track record of exiting bull market parties before they turned into disasters, I wanted to get a sense from her, from him about what metrics he will be looking for to tell his uh, to to tell him that it's time to uh, exit his long gold position. So right after our first commercial break, 
Dr. Quentin Henning will join me to talk about another company that is uh, that he is advising as a technical advisor, this one, SK Mining Corp. Now, this company's property is located within the same belt of rocks as the nearby Great SK Mine, which has been one of Canada's richest mines. In fact, it was the richest gold mine, richest mine in history when it was producing a few years back. So we'll ask Quentin why he decided to become involved as an advisor with SK Mining Corp. Um, and, uh, you know, Quentin doesn't get involved in projects unless he thinks there's something, not only something there, but something that's there in size and magnitude to make it worthwhile. So uh, I'm looking forward to talking to Quentin. He'll be with with me right after our first commercial break. But right now I'm happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me once more. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. You know, you, um, you've you been big on commodities, commodities that, you know, just haven't. I mean, a lot of these commodities, you, you know, you made the case some time ago that it's very difficult to see how they could go lower. Uh, what? And I know you follow the Bloomberg Commodity Index as a proxy for the commodity complex in general, but what are you seeing now uh, in commodities? Do, do you think finally we might start seeing some action there? Oh, yes, I think so. I think uh, we've had five years. Uh, most commodities collapsed with gold and from uh, uh, peaks in around 2011. And uh, so it was a universal drop. It wasn't just, you know, because this market had too much supply, it went down. I mean, they all went down. Okay. Yeah. So as a group. And they all made lows in uh, late 2015, early 2016, much like gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, the difference is that gold, when it reasserted itself, never went back to its lows, retested them in, in 2018, but didn't go back to them, and then took off. And meanwhile, commodities remained the Bloomberg Commodity Index, and you can see it in the grains as well, and, and the oil market uh, remained in a, in a sort of rectangular range for you know five years, and uh, up, down, up, down. And they just weren't going to collapse any lower. Oil finally had one more tantrum, you know that that it, yeah. know, we had uh, back early this year, uh, where it you know went to went negative zero. It went under zero, but in, actually, yeah, that was an illiquid contract. Yeah. But, it, you know, it bombed out. Okay. And then, then rebound, it's now at 40. Uh, but the complex itself, I'm looking, you know, across the board, not just the, the grains, but sugar, for example, in the soft arena, copper, uh, crude oil, natural gas. We're seeing uprisings, technically speaking, in all of these subcategories of the commodity complex. And I'm seeing it in the Bloomberg itself which is a very well-balanced, I like, uh, there are other commodity indexes out there, but a lot of them are too heavily weighted to energy. This one's a better balanced index. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it tells me technically via our methods that a major bottom is in place, a breakout has just occurred, and uh, I suspect, it's partly a gut guess, but really not. I, I, I think in the next couple quarters we'll see the Bloomberg go up over 30% or so. Mm. Uh, oh. Now, in price, when you look at a price chart of the Bloomberg, which is now in the low 70s, uh, I think you can go to 100, 110, that area rapidly. And if you look at that price and you, uh, go back to 2011, for example, it's not that big of a deal, but that's a huge first surge. And I think we're going to get it. And I think it could be noisy. I also think it'll be broad. It won't be uh, focused on, you know, one, one berserk commodity going up. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's sort of like in, in a big way, a bigger way, what happened in the late 1970s when gold asserted itself from a low in August of 1976 at $103.50. Mm-hmm. 
and a couple years later it was pushing up uh, several hundred dollars and then finally went to 850. Well, in the mm-hmm. last few years of that gold bull move, the commodity complex joined in. Mm-hmm. It was lagged to gold by a year and a half or two years, but it finally said, okay, we're going to join you. And uh, they never did outpace gold, but they matched it in terms of, you know, excel, uh, sharp upside. I think we're going to get that out of Bloomberg. So I think that the central banks have been looking for inflation. You know, what are, were they talking more than 2%? Well, uh, they might get something on the order of 20 to 30% right oh, out of goodness. the hole. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think it could happen in a couple quarters. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I, I saw yesterday, we, we traded up to a price in the Bloomberg that, to me, signals, okay, bottom now complete, uh, expect the components to get together and start to move. Mm-hmm. And I see some big percentage opportunities. We're talking about, you know, visualize a beach ball. You know, you push it underwater, and then you let go of it, and it comes surging up out of the... That's what, effectively, a lot of these commodities look like, technically, mm-hmm. is uh, downside oh. excess too long, and when they get released, they'll go big time. So you're seeing the commodity complex as a whole, but are there any commodities that stand out from where they are now that, that you might yeah, want to highlight? Just like in any, any sector that's moving, you know, or asset category, there's always something better than the other thing. But one of the areas I see, and we're talking stocks now, too. I would focus on commodity-related stocks, not just uh-huh. commodities themselves. But some of the subsectors in the energy sector, not XLE, which is the major ETF for the energy sector, you know, the big name oil companies, mm-hmm. but some mm-hmm. of the lesser uh, sectors like the oil services, uh, oil, oil and gas exploration sector ETFs, they look like they could have a far greater percentage uh, beach balls <laughs> resurgence uh-huh. uh, than, than oil itself. Uh, because they were, some of these things have collapsed like 90, 95% off their highs of, of several years ago. I mean, in major crashes. Uh, and unless we're going to go into a world where we don't need energy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, these guys are yeah. going to get reborn. And uh, just the first phase of the rebirth could be a vacuum-like effect, simply because they were, they were sold off the page. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's no more sellers left. I mean, if you're going to sell them, you've sold them. You know, <laughs> so when they turn up, they could they could really move. Uh, right. So I think there's some noise out there about to occur, and I think that will further enhance interest in gold. Obviously, because you're going to get quote commodity price inflation. Mm-hmm. And people look for the monetary asset that protects them from inflation. Yeah. Yep. So I I, I I wonder, do you see the dollar then as you know if if we have a, a major move in the commodity complex? Mm-hmm. Uh, we see some weakness in the dollar that goes along with that? Mm-hmm, I think so. Dollar is toiling right now. It's tried to, con- much like gold, okay? Dollar made a, a, a low in August, first week or two of August, and then had a rally. Well, what did gold do? It made a high, had a sell-off, okay? So they're actually somewhat linked now. They haven't been for the past couple of years, but their recent action has put them in inverse linkage. Uh, and I think the gold pullback has probably seen its low, and I think the dollar rally that we had off of that low has been seen as well. Now the issue is, okay, now if the dollar is going to roll over, uh, what levels is going to pick up steam? And uh, in our reports, we, we cover that issue. But I, I think that the dollar bounce we had from the August low is over. I think now the only issue is when does it resume a noticeable downside? And I mm-hmm. think it's probably, uh, you know, at hand. It, it won't yeah. take long to show it. I, I will give you a specific number. If you, you ever trade 91 on the mm-hmm. dollar index, which right now is trading at uh, 93 level, if you ever trade mm-hmm. 91, 
any time this year, you're going to collapse into the mid-80s quickly. All right. That trigger number jumps up when you get into 2021. You get up to about 90. You drop down to about 92 and a half any time uh-huh. next year, and I think you'll collapse. The next phase uh-huh. will collapse into the mid-80s quickly. Uh-huh. For the dollar, that's a big move. I mean, That's a big move. You, Michael, with, just, with yeah. just another minute left here, um, where does all this leave stocks and bonds then? If we start having we start having commodity inflation, does that start to hurt stocks and bonds? Yes, yes, it does. I think it's an issue of not what the Fed wants to happen with their money printing; it's what the investor class wants to have happen. They'll divert that flow of liquidity into arenas that they think are less risk, more reward. And I think the perception of, of commodities being one of those arenas is going to soon be on the windshield of everybody, especially when the Bloomberg turns up and commodity-related stocks start to perform. So I think the only stocks I want to own are gold miners and commodity-related stocks. The others uh, wave goodbye. I don't trust this recent advance. It's been very narrow, tech-related. About five or six symbols explain the whole thing. It's not a broad market situation, and I think when those symbols roll over, and it's Amazons, Apples, and so forth, uh, you're going to see the broad market kick down. And so... Well, and and then the money flow into commodities. Yeah, right. Well, we, you and I are old enough to have been around during the 70s, the stagflation scenario, which I think you've talked about before. It sounds like that's what you're seeing again. And uh, mm-hmm. not a happy scenario, but let's be ready as we, as we can be for it and prepare as best we can. Michael, thank you so much again for spending your time with us. Thank you, Jay. All right, folks. Well, we have to go to break now, but uh, Quentin Henning will be back with me to talk about SK Mining, SK Mining, SK Creek. It was one of the most famous and high-grade mines in Canadian history, and uh, SK Mining is in the same belt of rocks, as I understand it. We'll talk to Quentin Henning right after the break about this exciting new prospect. I'll be right back with Quentin Henning. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions4taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times is Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Dr. Quentin Henning. Uh, he's here today to discuss SK Mining Corp. That's a, a recent sponsor of this show. It's also uh, another company that uh, Dr. Henning is a technical advisor to. 
SK Mining is actively exploring in the British Columbia, in British Columbia's Golden Triangle, just a few kilometers uh, south of the famous SK Creek high-grade precious metals and base metals project. And based on exploration to date, I believe there's a good reason to think that SK uh, could be, SK Mining could be onto something perhaps very similar, um, a, a, a volcanogenic massive sulfide type of, uh, of target that they're looking at it uh, from what I understand and we'll hear more just in a minute from Dr. Henning about uh, the, uh, the geological prospects but the stock trades in Toronto under the symbol ESK ESKYF over the counter in the US is uh, how I've purchased my shares uh, 138.3 million shares earlier today trading at 81 cents in Canadian money giving it a market cap but a, a market cap of about 112 million dollars. Well, for reasons that are understandable, when Dr. Henning uh, gets involved in projects that's usually uh, attracts more people, you know, success attracts success and Dr. Henning has had uh, quite a quite a run here recently uh, over the last few years, so it's really great to have him with us again. Thanks for joining me, Dr. Henning. Thank you, Jay. It's really good to uh, to see uh, to see this story come to life. I mean, I I remember the SK Creek story and it was really as a matter of fact, I, I just looked up some, some statistics. SK Creek Gold, Silver, and Base Metals Project, it, it was the highest grade gold mine in the world when in production. The mine produced 3.3 million ounces of gold, 160 million ounces of silver, and an average grade of 45 grams per ton gold and 2,224 grams per ton silver. And now it seems that SK Mining, um, well, it seems as though maybe uh, they're, for some reason, I guess, you have the reason to believe that there that you might have another one, and these, as I understand, a lot of these kinds of deposits uh, are formed in clusters. Is that right? That's correct. Look, VMS systems almost universally occur in districts. A uh, little background: VMS systems, volcanogenic massive sulfide. Uh, they form on the sea floor. Anybody that's seen you know these documentaries on uh, black smokers and. Mm-hmm like will know what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, you can Google them, you can YouTube them, you can find videos of, of these things. Basically, they're wonderful uh, hot spring systems that occur in the bottom of the ocean, and as the hot waters come out of the ground, they, they precipitate uh, real high-grade, you know, oftentimes precious and base metal-rich sulfide mineralization. So these kind of form mounds or, or pods of uh, high-grade sulfides. And, you know, if, if Mother Nature's uh, quick enough to, to bury those under protective rocks and then, you know, through later plate tectonics, these things get shoved up onto a continent, you can end mm-hmm. up with uh, basically district-scale uh, VMS systems. And, you know, almost universally, uh, VMS occur in camps. That's correct. Mm-hmm. So the hypothesis then uh, for this, uh, this look alike uh, project, could you just explain a little bit more about the geology or, or perhaps go into the work that's been done so far uh, to lead you to believe that you're onto something? Sure. You gave a little background a minute ago. Uh, it was, you know, the Eskick Creek mine was a fantastic deposit, a little over 2 million tons at 45 grams per ton uh, gold and then a little over 2.2 kilos, believe it or not, 2.2 kilograms, <laughs> not, not ounces, Average. not grams. <laughs> We're talking kilograms of silver on average that's just uh, remarkable okay but uh you know it's it was the single highest grade gold mine and certainly the highest grade vms system on the planet 
Um, okay, so where is it? It's up at the north end of an anticline. It, basically, an anticline is kind of a, it's a geologic term for an upfolded sequence of rock. Mm-hmm. And uh, the SK Creek deposit sits right at the nose, right at the end, the northern end of this uh, anticline. Uh, Skeena now holds the SK Creek project. And, of course, anybody following Skeena knows they've been drilling uh, and building up a case for an open pitable deposit. They've made some very interesting discoveries lately. You know, uh, previous to Skeena, the view was that the SK Creek deposit, which, you know, is kind of a stratiform thing, like a, a, a layer, it's mm-hmm. tilted, but it's a layer, okay, uh, that that was all, you know, that's what you see is what you get kind of thing. Well, that's not true. Uh, mm. As Skeena has drilled some deeper holes, they found a stack of these sulfide sequences at depth. So it's it's turning into a much bigger and much more complicated system than anybody previously uh, perceived. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also a wonderful story. I, th- I don't know how many millions of ounces of gold equivalent they're up to. I think it's, uh, memory serves, I think three or four million. I don't, mm-hmm. don't want to misquote. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a big system. And it's high grade. Okay, It's, it's uh, you know, gold equivalent grades, uh, something like three or four grams per ton gold equivalent. Okay, oh, this yes. is, yeah, can you imagine? I mean, that's, that's like uh, we're talking 1980s grades. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, so that's a wonderful story. But uh, okay, they got they got a very interesting project there. But if you look at the geology, the geology trends southward. Okay, this this anticline, this, and and basically what this is is the entire perspective belt of VMS, you know, favorable host rocks, trends onto SK Mining's ground. Um, I would say SK Mining holds something around 85% of the perspective ground for further VMS discovery in this region. That's wow. great. Okay, so know, knowing that we, you know, these are things occur in clusters and that we have most of the perspective ground, let's go hunting for them. All right, so I've been, I've kind of loosely uh, been helping, or not help, well, I guess, you know, whatever, you know, like unofficially uh, involved with SK for about 10 years. Um mm-hmm. Um, a good friend of mine, Tom Weiss, geophysicist, helps do their geophysics, and I actually put him in touch with uh, Mac way back in 2010 or so. Um, so I, I've been loosely, you know, up to uh, keeping up to speed. Silver Standard, of course, came in, did a joint venture. They actually had a very good drill hole, and then, you know, didn't further fund it. So you know, I think they had other priorities. They were mm-hmm. uh, had fish to fry somewhere, so they didn't follow through with the, the earning. But in my view, this thing is is a killer project. Okay, so uh, last year, Mac asked if I could help. I'm thinking, well, the precious metal market's coming around. This is a great time to, to advance a story like this. So I uh, brought on uh, friends of mine out of the Colorado School of Mines, Thomas Monarchy, professor, well-known VMS expert. He did his dissertation at SK Creek, <laughs> you know, so he knows the thing inside and out. Uh, he also has a, a postdoc working with him, John Decker, and John is the project manager. Uh, basically, they sat down, they took all the data, remodeled it, and said, wow, this is a big, big system, lots of potential. We did work this summer, geophysics, we did uh, reviewing of historic core, identified numerous VMS systems on the property. Now, you cannot swing a cat without hitting a VMS system and this thing. Okay, so... We identified what we thought are the highest priority targets, TV and Jeff, which, you know, you can look at the map on our presentation, see their location. Uh, We started drilling. Uh, This is in August. We've now put two rigs on site. We're very excited. Uh, We're very excited by what we're seeing, and we've been drilling aggressively. That 
the snow is going to start flying in about two days, so we're going to wind things down here. But we have had a wonderful, wonderful run of drilling, uh, very productive. I think we'll hit around 4,500 meters. And quite frankly, you know, as, as described in a news release a couple of weeks ago, we've, we've already hit massive sulfide. We've seen mm-hmm. lots of stockwork sulfide, uh, like the feeder type stuff. And, and quite frankly, I think we're on to a very large system. Look, one of the things about VMS is they, they do occur in camps, but they also uh, usually have different sizes. Like, you know, you get anything from small tonnage, you know, it's a two, two million ton like SK Creek, but you can get big ones too. You can get 20 million ton VMS systems mm. in, in that same camp. Okay, so who's to say there's not a bigger system in, in the region? Look, I don't want to sound too, too promotional here, but, uh, but it's a fact of the matter is VMS can occur. They occur in camps and they can occur in a spectrum of sizes as well. What we see at TBDF right now, we've got something like a kilometer and a half where we've got drill holes that we're seeing sulfides. Uh, it's open in both directions, north and south. I, you know, given our Z, uh, SkyTem data and uh, MT recent MT data and stuff, I would say the system's probably twice that size in length. Um, mm-hmm. Very exciting. So, what are we hoping to get out of this? <clears throat> Look, if uh, if we get 15, 20 holes complete, I don't know how many we're up to. I can't keep track. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's say we get 18 holes, I don't know, uh, something like that, done by the end of the season. And let's say we, we see evidence of you know a high-grade precious metal VMS in one or two of these holes. Fantastic outcome. That that gives us uh, a target to go back to next next May or June and start drilling again. I think we'll have it. I, you know, I feel very good. Like I, I feel, you know, we'll call it lucky. Okay, I think uh, we're on to an, an absolutely immense system. It's stratigraphically in the right position. It's, you know, it's in that SK sequence. Uh, it's we're seeing those additional mudstones like they see at Skeena, and I think we're gonna we're gonna knock this one out of the park. Quite frankly, now as I look at the map, there's a is this the SIB the SIB. Uh, target. Oh, there's a number nope, of targets not, on this. It's huh? not SIB, believe it or not. That's where a lot of work, historic work's gone. And look, we, we will go back there and drill. We actually have a new model where we mm-hmm. think can find the rest of that system. We are a TV Jeff, which is on the oh, east yeah. decline. And, and believe it or not, this area hasn't seen drilling for 25 years. Okay. Huh. Uh, this is truly exciting, um, like wow kind of stuff. Uh, to see massive sulfide coming out of holes again and again over a big area like this, I I would say we're onto a very big system. Wow, very exciting. The company is well-financed, as I understand it, to get through this year. Uh, And I should mention that you have a 20% uh, joint venture partner there that's a pretty pretty good name company as well. Uh, That's correct. So uh, Kirkland uh, has a 20% interest. In, in part of our ground, we have two two parts. The southern part is 100% owned. Northern part, which includes this TV Jeff area, it's kind of on the boundary actually, uh, is 80 80 20. So 80% SK, 20% Kirkland. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we expect them to contribute their their share of the this year's uh, spend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, we we did some financing. Look, I brought you know I brought some very strong hands to the table to help them with the finances a few months ago, and we have very strong financing. We've also seen some warrants get exercised. I think we'll be in a fantastic position. Now, I do want to be aggressive next year, um, given what we're seeing right now. 
as soon as that, that snow melts and we can get in there and start drilling again, I want to follow up immediately uh, with an aggressive program. Yeah. Um, so this is an area that at one time, I mean, um, you, you've got infrastructure there now that you didn't have when Barrick was mining SK Creek, I think. And in fact, uh, the, the reason they could mine then was because because of the incredibly high grades. So I would think that the economics of projects here, including the Skeena project, the SK Creek project that yeah. Skeena is putting back, it should be very, very, I mean, it was amazing then, but now with good infrastructure, probably lower cost, I think lower cost energy and so forth too. So it all seems right. to be coming together well, very look, well. You, you have yeah. Skeena, but you also have Seabridge not too far away. Oh, You've yeah. Radium not too far. Look, you, there's a lot of infrastructure you want in here. There's planned road corridors that actually go through our property and so forth. Look, these won't be overnight. Nothing can be built overnight, but this area is opening up. And funny enough, TV Jeff actually sits right in the, the kind of the epicenter of all this infrastructure development. So I, I think we're in a great position. Oh, indeed. And so we should be looking for uh, drill results, I guess, with just a minute left here. We got some drill results we should be keeping our eyes on. Then I guess what you'll do is you'll pull all the data together that you've that you've uh, that you've assembled this year with your exploration work and then plan an aggressive drill program next spring. That's correct. As far as assays go, what we've decided to do recently is because the labs are so backed up, we are going to try to carve out the, the highest priority bits of core and try to get those through the lab like as a priority. I'm not going to, you know, I don't, the labs are really backed up right now. Yes. Everybody knows this. But I want to get the assays back as quickly as possible. Um, so we'll try to prioritize our core, get the most important bits through first, and, and hopefully have some news out uh, within the next few weeks about some of this wonderful stuff we've been seeing. All right, excellent. Well, well, we'll have to leave it go at that, Quentin. We're out of time, but thank you very much. Another exciting story that you're working on. Uh, thank you so much for spending your time with us. Well, folks, we do have to go to break now. Don't go away. Rick Rule will be with me to talk about these unusual markets and uh, his view about when to hold them and when to fold them. So don't go away. We'll be back with Rick Rule after the break. Gold Core trading under NVX on the TSX and NVGLF on the OTC is a gold exploration company focused on uncovering the next multi-million ounce gold deposit in North America. With an aggressive exploration season ahead in 2020, a tight share structure, strong management ownership, key strategic investors including Eric Sprott, a globally recognized technical team, technical coverage from industry gold experts, and cash in its treasury. Visit nvgoldcore.com to learn more on this exciting story. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. 
Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Rick Rule. Rick is a director of Sprott Inc., the Toronto-based investment manager with many billions of dollars under management, and he is the president of Sprott U.S. Holdings, where he leads a team of skilled earth scientists and finance professionals who enjoy a worldwide reputation for resource investing. Rick has over three decades of natural resource investing experience under his belt, and he has been one of the most successful investors and money managed in the natural resource sector. So it's always a pleasure having him on the show, especially during periods of heightened uncertainty, as is most certainly the case now. Rick, thank you so much for joining me today. Jay, it's always a pleasure. I've enjoyed our conversations uh, over the years. Both the conversations and the years have now been many. Yes, they have, indeed. Uh, Well, there are some advantages to getting older. We have a lot more experience and a lot more visibility in the rearview mirror. Rick, you know, in a recent interview from a few months back with Kitco, you said that events are shaping up that are uniquely positive for gold. Since gold closed above 2000 about that time, I believe we have had a bit of a correction. Gold has uh, fallen back to around 1860, the ounce, and somewhere in that range anyway, which uh, caused some investors to speculate that, well, maybe maybe that's it for gold. Well, do you think events are still shaping up that are uniquely positive for gold? And if so, uh, perhaps you could spell the fundamentals out that cause you to be bullish on gold, assuming that's still the case? Yes, Jay, certainly. With the caveat to, to gold is volatile. Uh, sure. which is to say that it won't go higher without some retracements. You've been in the business long enough to know that on the way higher, gold slips from time to time and the gold stocks slip, slip further. So investors need to understand that what I say will be punctuated by volatility. But let's examine, uh, at least from my point of view, the reasons why precious metals and precious metals equities should, almost must, notice I said almost must, go higher. The first is, uh, my own belief is that gold moves on fear, but more particularly, it moves on fear of the ongoing purchasing power of other savings and investment assets, most particularly the U.S. dollar and more particularly than that, the U.S. 10-year treasury, which is the world's benchmark currency. So let's examine why people might be afraid. The first would be quantitative easing. And we've said in conversations before, you and I, Jay, that if you and I did quantitative easing, it would be called counterfeiting. and We would be put in jail. When the political class does counterfeiting, it's policy and they get reelected. People love debasing the currency because they love to consume now what they should should have saved for later. But there's no debating that while popular, it debases the currency and devalues savings. No debate at all. Printing up or by now keystroking up fake currency units by definition debases the currency. The second would be debt and deficits. Uh, we have the dubious honor as a nation uh, a couple days ago to cut through $27 trillion in on-balance sheet liabilities. It's a number that makes audiences' eyes glaze over, but for the reference, it's 27 followed by 12 zeros. And I read today that the off-balance sheet liabilities of the United States government, that's, well, stuff like you and me, Social yep. Security, yep. Medicare, Medicaid, stuff like that, exceeds now $100. $50 trillion. So the combined obligations of the U.S. government, the combined amount that we owe each other, uh, is something, what's that, $180 trillion? Now, you service that with the national income, which is taxes and fees minus expenses. The problem, Jay, is that that number is in deficit, which is where the debt came from. And you can't add a column of negative numbers and come up with a positive sum. Uh, Even Buffett, who is not what one would describe as a pessimist, uh, observes that the debt can't be paid off. It has to be rescheduled, which is not good for people's confidence (laughs) in the U.S. dollar when the creditor is basically bankrupt. Uh, It's problematic. The third, uh, and probably in the near term, the most important, is negative interest rates. 
uh, interest is the fee that savers get paid for forestalling consumption. Uh, and it's also the margin of safety they get uh, in terms of the solvency of uh, the debtor and the time value of money. With the U.S. 10-year treasury, as an example, the world's benchmark security yielding about 60 basis points, in a currency that the Congressional Budget Office, not some cranky old libertarian like me, suggests is falling by 1.6%, uh, what the government says is that they absolutely positively promise to give you back less money than you gave them. One of the rare promises that uh, the governing class will keep. Jim Grant calls the U.S. 10-year treasury return-free risk. And so gold is really competing ultimately against return-free risk, uh, a challenge that I think gold is up to. But there are two other more subtle reasons, Jay, why I think that precious metals and precious metals investments go higher. The first is their de minimis market share among savings and investment assets in the United States. A recent study suggested that that class of investments, precious metals-related investments, comprised less than one-half of one percent of total investments in savings assets in the United States, down from a three-decade mean of between one-and-a-half and two percent. If the follow, if the three factors that we described don't generate enough concern that precious metals-related investments will, how would you say, revert to mean, mm-hmm. I would be very surprised. The fifth is something I learned very recently, or uh, an observation that I took very recently from my partner, John Hathaway, who runs our mutual fund business. He's a veteran institutional investor, and he pointed out that institutions worldwide manage about $100 trillion now, and traditionally, they have hedged their equities portfolios with bond portfolios in about a 60-40 equities bond ratio. The problem is with negative real interest rates, there has to be disintermediation from bonds because the institutional managers understand, particularly the pension funds, that owning bonds degrades the value of their portfolio over time with negative real interest rates. So disintermediation from a $40 trillion bond portfolio flows somewhere uh, in a very bad market. Perhaps it flows to money heaven, which is to say it goes away. But until that time, my suspicion is that uh, some portion, even some small portion of it flows into precious metals related investments. So for those uh, five reasons, Jay, I believe that the sort of two to four, perhaps five year outlook for precious metals and precious metals related assets is particularly good. There is a wonderful visual aid, which uh, I will share with any of your viewers who care to see it, which is a 50 year chart from Barron's, the Barron's Gold Mining Index. And you can observe in that chart that uh, <clears throat> there are two types of up moves for gold equities. One are cyclical recoveries from oversold bottoms, uh, which can be very dramatic, uh, triples, quadruples, six-baggers. But more importantly are secular bull markets. There was one occurred in the 1970 to 1981 time frame, another in the 2000 to 2011 time frame, uh, which is to say tenfold, uh, p- pardon me, ten-year-long, decade-long markets. If you believe, like me, that we're about two years into this one, obviously, for the reasons that we talked about before, there's a lot of room to move. And if you throw out the 1970s bull market, Jay, the one that caused you and I to get in the business, yes. focus on the 2000 to 2011 bull market, it was actually fairly tepid compared to the first one. But the gold price increased from $252 an ounce to $1,900 an ounce, more than a six-fold move. When people say to me, well, Rick, the gold price has increased from 1100 to 19 do you think I've missed it? I need to say, looking at prior uh, gold bull markets, that uh, you know, unless past isn't prologue, the answer to that is no. And of course, the uh, the precious metals equities prices traditionally in history, there's no reason why they have to, but traditionally in history have outpaced 
the price of the metal itself. So for those reasons, I am very optimistic about the probability that both metals and metals equities prices go higher, albeit with a lot of volatility. Sure. No question. Uh, there will be volatility, and I think you have to take that uh, as a given. But the uh, the trend certainly seems to be bullish. But I'd like to ask you, Rick, you know, you talk about uniquely positive for gold, uh, these these uh, these dynamics that you just, uh, that you just talked about. But uh, it, putting this in perspective, and I think you've done that too to a certain extent, but it, it sounds to me like what we have in front of us now, given zero bound interest and the prospects of massive fiscal stimulus far more than we've started to see so far, I would I would say, given the given the numbers that you talked about in terms of uh, the uh, off balance sheet requirements of the government, uh, uh, that were that this could be one for the ages. I, I would suggest, and I wonder if you would agree, considerably bigger than what we saw in the 70s and in the early 2000s. Something much bigger, perhaps something more akin to the 1930s. I had recently a discussion with Lynn Alden on my show, and she was pointing out that zero bound, things change an awful lot, as you just pointed out. Who's All those trillions of dollars in bonds where people used to put 60% or 40%, whatever it was, in downturns into bonds, and now there's no no reason to do that. You're, you're only giving money away when you do that. You're only losing wealth. So it seems to me that that we might be on to something much bigger. As, as she points out, monetary policy becomes impotent, essentially, when we get to these zero-bound levels, and she points back to the 1930s when that happened the last time. And the only thing that's left then is to print money, helicopter money, if you will, and perhaps a redistribution to the masses, the middle class that's basically been hosed down, and a redistribution of wealth through the printing press, I would suggest. Uh, do you think that this, this might be one that's significantly bigger than what you and I have gone through uh, the 70s and the, and the 2000s. I'm not ducking the question, Jay, but it's bigger than I am. Uh, I'm a lender and a securities analyst, uh, and so I, I would defer to Jay, to, to, to yourself, uh, and to Lynn. Uh, the truth is that I am a long-term optimist. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that pessimism is futility. Uh, I believe that throughout American history that we have shown that our individual initiative and creativity has been able to amortize our collective stupidity. And I believe over the 10 or 15 year term that that's true even today. But it wouldn't surprise me to see a reckoning in the interim. Uh as it relates to gold and silver, and I don't, I, I don't want to make any prognostications with regards to the general market because I don't study the general market. I'm not an economist. Uh, you know, I'm a lender. But with regards to gold and silver, with regards to precious metals and precious metals-related assets, I think your audience need to, needs merely to ask themselves, what are the probabilities of a continuance or a discontinuance of the factors that are bullish for precious metals? Does the audience believe it's more or less likely that quantitative easing continues? irrespective of who the president is. Does your audience believe that debt and deficits will continue? Does your audience believe that negative real interest rates will continue? If your audience, in their own considered opinion, believes that in the future the circumstances are beneficial for uh, precious metals and precious metals-related assets, then your audience needs to believe in the probability that those asset classes become stronger relative to other asset classes in the economy. I don't believe that in order for your listeners to make substantial investments in precious metals and precious metals related assets, that they need to think that this circumstance will will dwarf prior circumstances. They just need to understand that, at least in my opinion, it is much more likely than not that precious metals and precious metals related assets go higher, perhaps 
much higher. That would make an awful lot of sense. And uh, I would just like to mention that I think it was a couple of months ago, somebody tweeted that uh, Rick Rule was really bullish on gold or whatever. The, it, was, it had to be gold or precious metals. And I tweeted back and I said, oh, that's fine. I mean, we're into a bull market. It's obvious we're in a bull market for, for gold and the precious metals now. But what I really want to know is I want, I want Rick to tell me when he's bearish on gold and when he turns bearish. And I think you've sort of threw out some of the ideas about what you're looking at. You were telling you know my listeners what they should be watching. And I suppose those are the things that you're watching. But, you know, because you have a very good reputation and uh, you've, you're known as a very savvy investor who, like Bernard Baruch, bought too early and sold before others were selling. So will you promise, Rick, sometime when you turn bearish to come on the show and tell everybody? In fact, if you'll allow me, I'll fire some early warning shots now. Oh, please. Yes. Um, if you believe, as I believe that the probabilities are based on five circumstances, then you need to begin to set yourself some statistical balance uh, boundaries for those circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, were quantitative easing to end? Or were there the probability that quantitative easing was going to end? I would be nervous about my precious metals assets, and I might revert back to bonds as an example. Uh, if, from a quantitative standpoint, the <clears throat> uh, budget deficit became less than 1% of GDP which I think actually in an economy like ours is probably affordable. I don't want to see it, but I think it's affordable. I would need to revisit my premise. If the real interest rate, even the way that the government uh, counts inflation, uh, if the U.S. 10-year Treasury had a 200 or 250 basis point real yield, uh, so that's what, 1.6% plus uh, 250 basis points, what's that? If the 10-year Treasury was yielding something like 5 that would strengthen the dollar. Uh, it would give a reason for money to disintermediate from gold to the U.S. 10-year treasury. If the uh, market share of precious metals and precious metals-related assets went above the 30-year mean, which is to say if the market share of precious metals and precious metals-related assets, rather than being at one-half of 1%, was at 3 or 3.5%, three I couldn't any longer claim that it was under-owned. Now, in truth, if we still had massive debt and deficits, if we still had massive negative interest rates, and if ownership of precious metals and precious metals-related assets was higher because they deserve to be rather than because of momentum, that might not change my mind. Sure. But I, I believe that every time that you make a, a major allocation of your wealth to an asset class, that you need to have quantitative boundaries to that position. And those are my quantitative boundaries. Well, it makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that, Rick. It's a, it's a bonus. Uh, uh, I think that's really important because uh, uh, to be watching for for what could go wrong. I mean, all too often I've been you know sticking with the same premise, and uh, and and things are changing when I'm not on the on the outlook uh, looking out for it. And you get stuck holding the bag. And the, you've been very good and obviously very successful because you uh, you you have that ability to see and to look ahead and to think logically. Rick, before we run out of time, you know, at Sprott, given your position there, your your sense then of just general market participation in precious metals is still pretty, is really quite low compared to the historical norms, I guess, is what you're telling me. You know, the numbers I gave you weren't yeah. mine. Uh, I believe they were J.P. Morgan Chase's. Uh-huh. Uh, 
Now, it's brought, you know, we have been principally involved in natural resources and precious metals for a very long time. And we were messaging aggressively through the bear market. And the consequence is that we have experienced an enormous influx of interest, both from retail investors and institutional investors worldwide. So from our viewpoint, we sort of joke that we've worked 10 years to be overnight successes. But that's narrative. Uh, The statistics are that precious metals and precious metals related assets are still uh, seriously under owned, uh, almost paradoxically under owned. If you look at the factors that should, in my view, contribute to their popularity. Now, what uh, I would like you just to mention some of the products that Sprott offers. Uh, first, on in owning the precious metals themselves, you have some ETFs. You also have the ability to buy uh, outright to buy gold and silver and have for delivery. Uh, but I think you also have a reasonable uh, way for people to buy ETFs and then take possession of the metals, possibly. Yeah, they aren't actually ETFs, Jay. We uh, we sponsor four New York Stock Exchange listed physical precious metals trusts. Mm-hmm. Okay, the physical, trust, gold, yeah. physical gold trust, the physical silver trust, the physical gold and silver trust, and the physical platinum and palladium trust. And it's important that they're incorporated as trusts because if you buy physical precious metals or you buy the physical precious metals ETFs, which the IRS views as surrogates for physical ownership, to the extent that you enjoy capital gains, which is, of course, why you would buy them, uh, if you own the physical or the physical surrogates, you're taxed at the collectibles or in some areas your ordinary income tax rate. Whereas if you own the trusts, uh, you can be taxed at the capital gains rate which is much less. Uh, That's a very, very important difference for taxpaying U.S. investors. Uh, I happen to believe that uh, because of the tax advantages, because of the redeemability in many circumstances, at least for large investors, and because of the fact that we don't have to accommodate pinches and swells like the ETFs do, which means that our our inventory is always in physical precious metals rather than in deposit receipts, that this is perhaps the finest way for most American investors to own physical gold and silver. But we have other products available too. As you mentioned, uh, equity ETFs, both in terms of large cap miners and small cap miners. Uh, And then a a 1940s Act public mutual fund uh, run by my partner John Hathaway, whom I believe is, in my personal opinion, uh, the best gold investor available to retail investors in the United States today, and a whole variety of bespoke products. Uh, if I may, Jay, uh, I would love to introduce your listeners to Sprott by making them an offer. Okay. Uh, any of your listeners who come to a web link, SprottUSA.com, that's one word, SprottUSA.com, forward slash rankings, you'll find a web form. Enter the names and symbols of your natural resource stocks, not your tech stocks, not your bank stocks, just your natural resource stocks, and I personally will rank them, at least the ones I know, 1 to 10, 1 being best, 10 being worst. And I'll comment on individual issues uh, when, as, and if I believe my comments have some value. In addition, uh, I'll send two charts, uh, not because I'm a technical analyst, but rather because they're important visual tools. One is the Barron's Gold Mining Index, the Mm -hmm. most inclusive and longest running gold equity index in the world, where you can study uh, recoveries from oversold bottoms and gold bull markets, and where you can get a really graphic picture of the volatility in gold equities and learn, at least in a macro sense, the anatomy of a gold bull market. The second is actually maybe a more interesting chart, which is a 100-year commodity index chart, which talks about just how cheap industrial materials are 
relative to other uh, investable assets and the broad economy over the last hundred years. Uh, from that base, uh, what we're trying to do is give people an incentive to look at Sprott where we give them something before we ask them to do business. If the combination of the education that those people rec- receive from the charts and the value of the rankings is in their minds sufficient to explore a deeper relationship with us, then we would invite them to do it. But there's absolutely no obligation. Well, that's very generous, Rick. Thank you uh, for that. That's, that's a pleasure. That's uh, quite uh, that's quite kind of you. And uh, I, yeah, I hope our, a lot of our listeners will do that. And maybe I'll send in some of my own and let you uh, critique my portfolio. I look forward to it, Jay. The truth is that uh, in critiquing portfolios for a while, I've learned an awful lot about the way people think. Ah, uh, yes. I've learned a tremendous amount uh, about uh, some of the successes that people enjoy and perhaps why, and some of the mistakes that people make. And I can only fantasize about why that occurs. But I've learned, uh, I've certainly received more knowledge from the process than I've given. Ah, that's, that's very good. I mean, yeah, learning from our mistakes is really important and uh, you know, if we don't, if we keep doing the same thing over and over again and not learning from our mistakes, that's that's not a good thing. Uh, I, just one more quick thing, Rick, if I could, before we let you go. In terms of uh, the upcoming elections that's on everybody's mind these days, you mentioned taxes, the tax advantage that, uh, that your uh, trusts have and all that. Um, I, some of those things could go away. It seems to me that we're facing, you know, an awful lot of hostility towards rich people. Um, and... I don't know. Do you, what are your thoughts? So, in terms of the outcome of the election, it seems to me that we're in big trouble no matter what happens. As you tend, you know, the the, the amount of debt that we're in, uh, the no way that can be paid, uh, you know, debasing the currency, all the things that you talked about are not going to change automatically, no matter who wins the election. So, but just thought I'd ask you, what are your thoughts? Uh, in terms of precious metals, uh, I'm afraid if that's the right word that the outlook for precious metals is pretty bright. I say afraid because it's the debasement of the currency. Yes. Which is a sad thing. It is. That makes that statement true. Uh, I think probably in terms of general equities, uh, a Biden victory uh, would scare the investor class. There's talk of a wealth class tax. There's talk of a tax, uh, uh, an increasing tax on corporate profits. Uh, In other words, the overt transfer of wealth from savers to spenders would in, would increase. Mm-hmm. The truth is that neither the Republicans nor the Democrats seem to have any interest in reducing transfers. No. Neither of them seem to have any interest in cutting back quantitative easing or debt and deficits or negative interest rates. So the truth is that I personally see little long-term difference between either of the parties. I know that'll make me very unpopular with your audience. No, oh, I don't okay. know about that. Uh, I think we have a lot of libertarians that, that listen to this show and realize that there's uh, right. you know, sins and omissions on both sides. And certainly we don't hear anybody talking about sound money anymore, any kind of an honest monetary system. But it's everybody's in, in favor of, this, uh, of, 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 the, of the scam, the monetary scam that we've been undergoing, especially since 1971. So, uh, yeah, it's, it is, but I think it is what it is, and we have to do the best we can to prepare uh, for what is likely to come. Uh, any more thoughts yet, Rick? Let's well, you know, I, I just believe that your listeners <clears throat> need to rely on their own assessment 
uh, of the probability of the continuation of circumstances, which, in my opinion, should cause precious metals to go higher. Since your audience is interested in natural resources, uh, as well as precious metals, I would also say that my own suspicion is that the economy is going to be weaker than some people suspect for a while. Not merely because of politics, but also because we enjoyed, if that's the right word, a 10-year-long recovery after 2008. And in my experience, a 10-year expansion is unusual and is usually followed by a hiccup. And I I think that hiccup is probably exacerbated uh, both by international politics, which is to say a recedence in trade and free markets, but also has taken a hit that Wall Street doesn't seem to recognize from quantitative easing. And my suspicion is that the next two or three years will be softer than the big thinkers think it will be, which means that we probably won't see a, a broad recovery in natural resources other than gold and silver for a while longer. Ironically, that will set up, in my opinion, uh, a rip-snorting bull market because it will constrain investment and construct in productive capacity in those investments. My suspicion now, Jay, is that I uh, – I write out of my career, I'm 67, uh, with a very, very handsome precious metals bull market, which begins to give way uh, to a very handsome natural resources bull market sequentially, which is, you know, frankly, a wonderful way <laughs> to end my career. <laughs> well, absolutely, Rick, and it's been a stellar career, obviously, uh, you know, and, and um, I've really, really very much enjoyed learning to know you over the years and, and uh, listening to your expertise and your knowledge of markets, and it's very kind of you to share that with our listeners, and um, I, I just want to thank you once again, and, and really uh, suggest to my listeners that they go to SprottUSA.com and take Rick up on, uh, it's SprottUSA.com rankings, I think you said, Rick, right? And SprottUSA.com forward, forward slash, slash rankings. rankings. Excellent. Very good. Well, I hope our listeners will do that, and I've got to find the time to do that as well and get well, you to I, critique my portfolio. I, I look forward to future conversations, and I particularly look forward to this uh, uh, foolishness which precludes us having a beer together, subsiding. <laughs> so that yeah, that would be great. Place. That would be great, wouldn't it, Rick? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Well, thank you so much again, Rick, for, for, uh, for being with us. Thank you, Jay. Always a pleasure. You bet. Well, folks, that is all the time for today. Next week, John Rubino will be with me and uh, Ian Klassen of GMV Minerals. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Benchmark Metals is an advanced gold-silver exploration company that is rapidly advancing its Canadian gold-silver project to a production decision. Benchmark is nearing completion of its largest program to date, with up to 100,000 meters of resource expansion and definition drilling in 2020. The multi-million ounce potential project is expected to have a new mineral resource estimate and PEA study completed in 2021. The company is backed by the Metals Group management team and believes this aggressive program will be complemented by one of the strongest commodity bull markets in decades. Visit BenchmarkMetals.com and subscribe to follow their success.